good to be here this afternoon. Uh, you know, last time I was here, um, last time I was able to speak at the 3 p.m., I was talking with a couple gentlemen outside after the service, and, and one of them said to me, you know, you must have a lot of discipline in your life, or you, you seem like you really kind of have things together, the type of uh, sermons you preach. And I looked at him, and I was like, brother, I usually preach from or teach from the areas that I'm, God's dealing with me in. And so that, a lot of the times, that's how it is in my life. Whenever I come here to preach at the 3 p.m., a lot of times it's God's dealing with something in my own heart or, or showing me areas where, where I've let things maybe come in and cause distraction or, or I need to be doing some things differently. And so a lot of time when I preach here or teach here at the 3 p.m., it's because God's doing something in my own life. I don't want you ever to think that I'm getting up here and I have everything figured out, Right? You, you mean to say that I'm, I'm speaking from the pulpit up here and I don't have everything figured out? Absolutely. I do not have everything figured out. And, and a lot of the time, God's, how God ministers through me is as he's dealing with my own life. And then I kind of share that with you. Amen? So what I want to talk to you about this afternoon, it's extremely practical and extremely simple. And, and it's something that I've noticed that some of the problems or some of the things that we face in this life, sometimes we, we over-spiritualize things. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a spiritual battle. The Bible says that we fight against spiritual wickedness and high places and, and demonic forces and all those type of things. But there are very practical things, practical decisions that we make in life that sometimes are the cause of our problems. All right, And so I want to address something that's very practical this afternoon. And it's something that we often don't think about, we're often unaware of, and that's what makes this specific thing so dangerous, is the fact that we're unaware of it. We're unaware of the threat that it can pose to us. It's something that, that affects us emotionally, um, physically, spiritually, it, it can affect our relationships, it can affect our productivity, and it's something that everyone here, everyone here on stage, everyone here in the audience, that we face on a daily basis. Okay, but before I tell you what it is, I want to do a little exercise with you to illustrate my point. So if you could, I want you all to grab your phones out. Some of you all getting all excited now. Some of you already had your phones out. All right, so grab your phones out. Don't look at it yet. Just have it ready. And here's what I want you to do. So statistics show that the average American looks at their phone once every 12 minutes. Isn't that crazy? Once every 12 minutes. So in a 16-hour day, that's 80 times a day. Okay, now, if you have a smartphone, when, when you open your smartphone, we have all our little icons, our, our apps, right? Where you have your Facebook app or your Bible app or your exercise app, whatever it is. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Without looking at your phone yet, remember, the average American checks their phone 80 times a day. Without looking at your phone, can you tell me what the icon or the app in the lower right hand of the corner of your phone is once you open it. Now, you don't have to answer out loud. Just think about it for a second. Try to remember what that is. Okay, now look at your phones and see if you got it right. All right, if you got it right, raise your hand. Okay, if you got it wrong, raise your hand. <laughs> All right, so the majority of you got it wrong. Even though you look at your phone possibly up to 80 times a day, 
You, you got it wrong. Okay, now for this next one. Take your eyes off your phone. Everyone look up here at me. All eyes up here at me. Now, every smartphone on, it, on the lock page or the home page, it has a digital clock, okay? So you just checked your phone to look at that icon and, and saw that clock. Now, don't answer this out loud. Just answer it in your mind. I want you to tell me what time it is. All right, check your phone and see what time it is. How many of you got that one wrong? But you just looked at your phone. Okay, one more. Here we go. Now I want everyone to close your eyes, or if you don't want to close your eyes, just look down in your seat. Just look at your feet. Okay, I've been up here talking for the last few minutes now. I want, you, I want to ask you, without looking, don't answer out loud, just answer in your head. I want to ask you three questions. Am I wearing a polo or a button-up shirt? Okay. All right, what, what is the color of the shirt I'm wearing? Oh, wow, you guys are good. Are the, are the sleeves of my shirt rolled up? I want, okay, you can open your eyes. I was going to try to roll up my sleeves before you all answered. <laughs> all right, so you guys did pretty good on that one. How many of you missed one of those, though? Anybody? Okay, a few. But most of you did pretty good. But I do this exercise because it brings us to this point right here, which is this. Our attention is a limited resource. Our attention is a limited resource. Our brain, we can only process so many things or, or take in so many things at one time. And even people who can multitask well, they can only do so much before they've reached their attention capacity. Okay? And so I want to ask you this question. What is controlling your attention? What is controlling your attention? And here's why this question is so important for us to answer. It's because this, every time you give your attention to something, you are taking it away from something else. You understand that? Our, our attention is a limited resource, so every time we give our attention to something, we're taking it away from something else. Now, what do we call it when our attention is supposed to be over here, but it's over here instead? We've, we've misplaced our attention. What do we call that? We call that a distraction, okay? And so distractions are what I want to talk about this afternoon. What are the distractions that are in our life? And now sometimes these distractions, they can be small. They can re be relatively insignificant. Maybe, you know, wives in the room. What's it like trying to talk to your husband when he's watching a football game? <laughs> it's impossible, right? Now, the stupid husband in that moment will say that the wife is the distraction, not the football. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> or how many parents do we have in the room? Parents, what's it like talking to your kid when they're on their phone? Or they're playing video games? Or they're watching TV? What's it like trying to talk to them? Mommy doesn't exist, right? You know, it's funny because my brother, we, one of my younger brothers, we always teased him growing up because whenever he was playing video games, he was locked in. And now I'm seeing his sons. I, I was over at their house recently, and, and when his son is watching TV, that kid is glued. He's like three years old, and he's like a zombie. <laughs> uh, Jude, Jude. 
just staring at the TV. You can't get their attention, right? So, so sometimes we have small distractions like that, but at other times, distractions are literally killing us. For example, what about texting while driving? Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand if you text and drive, because I know we have police officers that kind of <laughs> linger around here, so I'm not going to do that to you. But listen, statistics show that 25% of our car accidents are phone-related. 25%, one in every four. Studies show that you're four times more likely to get into a wreck when you're on your phone, whether it's hands-free or not, just when you're engaged on your phone. Get this, you are more likely to get involved in a crash while using your phone than if you are driving drunk. Now listen, here's why, and this is important. Because when you're drunk, you know that you're impaired. And you're, you're being careful because you know that, that your response time isn't what it should be, so you're being careful. What makes texting and driving so dangerous is that you think you have everything under control. How many people have you heard, I can, I can still text and drive and be safe though? Like there are, there are people that can't handle it, I can handle it. That's the person you gotta watch out for the most because they think that they're in control. They're unaware of the danger, and so it becomes the most dangerous situation then. So it's important for us to realize, where is our attention? What are the things that we're being distracted with? Because there's, there's so many things vying for our attention these days. I mentioned smartphones a lot, smartphones and, and social media, phone calls, texting, games. We, we make ourselves available to literally anyone and anybody 24-7, we have our, our streaming services, Hulu and Netflix. We have our, draw, our jobs and its pressures and demands. We have the demands of our family and spending quality time with them. We have you know, spending time in prayer and in, in reading the Bible, spending time exercises, exercising so that we can stay fit. And here's what I want to zone in on. I want to talk about three relationships that are affected by constant distractions in this life. Three relationships that, that, that are constantly being affected by distractions. Because we live in a time where the potential for distraction is crazy. Especially here in New York City. You just walk outside and there's things flashing everywhere. There's always advertisements. There's, they're just constant distractions. I, I saw an article recently that was talking about how this younger generation, Generation Z is what they call it, grow, that all they've ever known is technology, that their brains are just becoming so overstimulated because it can't process all the constant information, everything coming in all the time. I, and I saw this article where this, this, this person was talking about how it can affect our loss of, it can cause a loss of creativity, a lack of sleep, aches and pains, and then a decline in relationships. And that's the one that I wanna focus on in the relationships. So the three specific areas of relationships I want to talk about is our relationship to others, specifically family, our relationship to ourself, and then lastly, our relationship to God. And I want you to think about these distractions in terms of texting and driving. Because remember, it's when you think that you're under control or, or when you think that it, or you're unaware of it, that's where the most danger is. So the, the title of, of this message is, What's Distracting You? What is distracting you? So number one, relationship to others. If you could turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, 
We're going to be reading verse 13. Hold on a sec. Hello? No, No, I got time. What's up? Okay, no, no. Yeah, I can do that. All right, all right, no problem. Bye-bye. Anyways, um, so John chapter 15. It's talking about love and sacrifice. Oh, I got 110 likes on my Instagram post. All right, now stop for a second. How many of you recognize that? You recognize that, whether it's being done to you or other people are, are, are doing it to you? Doesn't that look familiar? And that's how we communicate with people sometimes. Listen, what would, it, what would you think if I did a message like that the entire time? How would you respond? I guarantee you, you'd be like, I ain't coming back here. <laughs> guy's crazy, Right? And why is that? What am I communicating to you when I'm, when I'm trying to talk to you, but I'm constantly like this? That, that you're not important. That, that you're not the most relevant thing to me right now. That something else is more important. Listen, a lot of you, you wouldn't like if, if we communicated the word of God to you like that, yet how many of us are like that in our relationships? Talking with our wife, talking with our husband, talking with our kids, Kids talking with your parents, or just talking with friends in general. It's like, it's like talking with that person that's, that's always looking around. You know, you're having that one-on-one conversation, and they're just kind of like, that's the most distracting thing ever, <laughs> when you're trying to talk with someone, and all they're doing is looking around the entire time, right? So John 15, verse 13, listen to what Jesus says. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life. For his friends. So here Jesus. He's describing the ultimate sacrifice. That we lay down our life. For our friends. And, and ultimately he's, he's kind of looking. Forward. Looking towards the cross. Where he's going to die on a cross. And he's going to rise again. Literally giving his life for his disciples. The whole gospel message. Jesus dying on the cross for us. That's, that's ultimately what he's talking about. But in, in verse 17, if you go on a little bit further, he, he commands them to, want, to love one another like this. So he's also giving them an example. So in other words, Jesus expected his disciples to express the same sort of self-sacrifice and love for one another. That's the ultimate sacrifice, giving your life for somebody. Now, we, we can think of it in some other types of context as well. Maybe if you have someone serving in, in, in your family in the military, you think of soldiers that, that go overseas and they, or, or even fight here and, and they give their, their life for their family, for their friends, for their country. Or if you're a bit of a romantic, you think of Prince Charming storming the castle to save the damsel in distress, risking his life against the fire-breathing dragon. Right? And I'm sure that every single person in this room would say that you're willing to die for at least one person. Probably several people. We'd say we're willing to die for at least one person. So get this, here's the thing. We'd say we'd lay down our life for our loved ones. But most of the time we can't even lay down our phone for the loved ones. 
Most of the time we can't lay down our, our hobbies or our rights for our loved ones. And the thing is, the many small sacrifices that we make in life, they add up and eventually become just as important as the big ones. Understand that. I've seen marriages that fall apart, and I'm not limiting it, just limiting it to this issue, but I've seen marriages fall apart because one or the other or both get distracted, eventually they emotionally disconnect and end up in divorce. I've seen families suffer because they're not given the attention that was needed. You know, you may be willing to die for someone, but husbands, are, are you willing to shut off the football game so that you can just talk with your wife and connect with her? Wives, are you willing to maybe put down the smartphones for a little bit so that you can talk with your husband? Parents, are, are you willing to, to put your career on hold for a moment, if need be, so that you can be more present with your family? One thing that we have to realize is that a distraction is not always a bad thing. A distraction can be a good thing that's keeping you from a better thing. A distraction can be a good thing that's keeping you from a better thing. For example, a job is a good thing, but how many have ever heard of the man or woman that wished they would have spent more time pursuing their career? You don't really hear that very often. Most of the time it's, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. And let me just show you how this can play out in one's life. How many of you have ever heard the song, Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin? I just, it, it goes along so well with this, so I just wanted to read this to you real quick. I want to read the lyrics of the song. It says, my child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, grew he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him. You know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and then said with a smile, what I'd really like, dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And then it ends with this verse. I've long since retired, my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids got the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. See, the dangerous thing about the distractions that we can face in our relationships is that far too often we don't see the danger in them until we're already reaping the consequences. You can hear that in, in, in that song as the father's reflecting on his life and he's like, my son grew up just like me. So the relationships God has blessed us with are some of the most important things in our life. Is there something that's pulling you away from that? So you have relationship to others. Number two is this, is relationship to self. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to be reading a verse from Psalm 147, verse 3. Listen to this incredible truth. Psalm 147, verse 3. Talking about God. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 
Now, in the context, this was a promise that was given to captive Israel. But it, it's, it, it is a general and precious truth that God speaks to us. And it, it speaks to God's desire to bring healing into our life. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And, you know, when I, get, when I read this, I get the picture of a child that scraped his or her knee and they're running to their mom and dad crying. Right? What, what is the mom or dad do? They pick them up in, the, in their arms. They comfort them. They, they put a bandage on the wound. And they just comfort them through the, the pain. Right? They, they just sit with them in the pain. And I, I kind of get this picture of God, how he deals with us. He's, just, he's, he's like a, a, a parent. He's, he, he just wants to be with us in that pain. And he brings healing. God is so willing to work healing and comfort into the areas of our lives where we're hurt and where we're broken. And that's the incredible God that we serve, is that we have a God who, who wants to work in, in our brokenness. How many of you would say that, that you're asking God for areas of healing in your life? Keep running to God. Many times the healing isn't immediate, but we have his promise that, that he heals. So hold on to that promise. But I want to speak real quick to the person who didn't raise their hand. I want to talk to the, to the person that's actually maybe afraid to even talk to God about it. They don't want to bring up their issues. They've been hurt too many times. Maybe they're afraid to bring it before God. Or they just don't want to acknowledge it. It's easier to pretend like nothing ever happened or I'm not dealing with something and just kind of sweep it under the rug. In order for healing to happen, here's the thing though. In order for healing to happen in our life, we have to let God in. We have to let God, give God access to those things in our hearts and in our minds. And it's hard because how many of you know that many times the healing process hurts worse before it actually starts to feel better? That's just the, the natural way of healing is, is many times it hurts worse before it actually starts to feel better. I'm sure you've heard the broken leg analogy where if you break your leg, it has to be set into place before it can be healed properly. That, that setting into place is going to be extremely painful, but it's the only way for healing to start. But this is how we can often respond to the pain or the hurt in our life. I've seen another approach that's used in parenting where it's not so much the, the calming and, and the, the sitting with them in the pain. It's, it's, I call it the baby rattle approach, okay? So a baby, especially like a young child, when they get hurt or disturbed by something, instead of comforting them through the pain, we try to distract them from it, right? You, you get out the baby rattle, whoa! Booga, 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 booga. Right? You wave the rattle in front of them. You're trying to distract them. And usually the baby. And if you can distract them long enough, they kind of forget what the pain, why they were even crying. And they kind of move on. Right? Now, here's the thing. The baby rattle approach may work fine in that scenario, but it doesn't work for your soul. The baby rattle approach doesn't work for your soul. In other words, when we're just trying to distract ourselves we're, we don't want to deal with things, so we're distracting ourselves from it, and we never allow God access to our heart to bring healing into areas of our life. Healing doesn't happen. We have to be willing to let God get access to those areas of our life. 
instead of let, running to God for healing, some of us, we overwork or we overclean. We're, we're always on the phone. We always have the TV on or music playing because we can't be in the silence for very long before we start to feel that pain creep up again. So we're just constantly trying to distract ourselves. So I want to ask you, are your distractions keeping you from healing? God is so willing to bring comfort and healing into our life if we allow him. But the answer is not to distract ourselves from the pain, but to go to God in that pain. And he heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up our wounds. Amen? Amen. So you have your relationship to others. You have a relationship to yourself. And then lastly, our, our relationship to God. If you could turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. I don't want to get too much into the context of this scripture. There's just one truth that I want to draw out of it. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Just kind of a build up into this verse. What had just happened is we're going to be reading about something that God does to, or says to the prophet Elijah. And God had just got done using Elijah in, a credible, in an incredible way. He'd shown up with power and might by sending down fire from heaven to consume prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Baal. So pagan prophets. And, and God had used Elijah in, in just this kind of grandeur way, right? And then after this working, there's a queen whose name was Jezebel. She hears of it, and she begins to threaten to kill Elijah. And despite having seen all this God's grandeur working and miraculous working, he begins to kind of sulk and pout and goes into complaining mode. And so God speaks to him this way. In, verses, in, in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12, said, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. It says, and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broken pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. If you're reading from the New Revised Standard Version, it says a sound of sheer silence. And here's the truth that God's getting across is that he speaks in the quiet. You know, there, there'd always been this huge emphasis on God's spectacular and miraculous ways. But in this moment, he's showing Elijah that he moves in the quiet ways as well. He's revealing himself to Elijah in the quietness. And you can, you can see Jesus even model this kind of lifestyle in the New Testament. In, in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, it says, But now even more the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. There's something about quieting our hearts before God. You know, sometimes I think we can think, well, if God wants to get my attention, he'll just make it very clear. God does work like that. I'm not going to say he doesn't work like that. But sometimes God's speaking and we just don't hear it because we're not listening. 
We're not, we haven't quieted ourselves before him enough. We're, we're, we're so distracted with everything else in life. And he's saying he speaks in the quiet place. So do we make time for ourselves to get away to a quiet place and just be with God? Now, depending on your current life circumstances, I, I recognize that that might be extremely difficult. I have a sister with four young kids. I have a brother with three younger kids. And I know that my brother or his wife, neither of them ever have time to themselves. Like it's, there's always chaos going around in the house. So I understand that there are life circumstances where maybe it's hard to get away. You know, so, but maybe we can't es- always escape the distractions necessarily in, in that sense. But we can always choose to set our mind on God. We can always choose to set our mind on God. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says this. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So there's a peace that comes with just being mindful of God in your life. It's, it's I'm going to set my mind on God. Maybe it's, it, it's not always represented in, in a quiet place where, where there's no noise around me. If you can do that, that's great. Sometimes it's just, I'm going to choose to set my mind in, on God as I'm walking down the streets of New York and there's cars honking and, and there's billboards flashing and there's people walking all around me. I can still set my mind on, on God. And choose to not be distracted and forget that God has everything in control in my life. And, and he's in control of every situation. One thing that I, I felt God kind of show me as, I'm, as I was dealing with different distractions that would come up in my life. I can't remember if I heard this somewhere and it really, and it really hit me or if it's something I came up with myself. I can't remember, but um, it, it's this. The devil doesn't have to destroy you to make you an ineffective Christian or to steal your peace in life. Most of the time, he just has to distract you. The devil doesn't have to destroy you to make you an ineffective Christian or to steal your peace in life. Most of the time, he has to, all he has to do is distract you. And so what are the distractions that we've allowed in our relationships? Where are the areas of, of healing and, and things in our life that we try to make ourselves unaware of or we just try to forget or we just try to pursue other things because we don't want to deal with it? Where have we let other things take the place of God in our life? So in closing, I want to ask you this again. What's controlling your attention? What's controlling your attention? If you could all stand with me. I want to do a a two-part altar call this afternoon. First of all, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe at one time, maybe you grew up in church and you've just really drifted from that. And, and you say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to invite you to come forward to this altar. And all, all, that, all this means is when we come forward, we're just, we're just responding to something that God's doing in our heart. Maybe there's someone here that your mom has been praying for you for so long. Maybe your grandma has been praying for you for so long. Maybe the Holy Spirit or God has been 
trying to draw you to himself, trying to, to, to bring you back to him or bring you to him and you just keep running to other things, distracting yourself. If you've never given your life to Christ and you wanna make that commitment just for a few more minutes, if you wanna come forward, I wanna say a prayer with you and then I'll give my second altar call. This is your first time. Sometimes it's not just we're, we're getting caught up in distractions. Maybe we've just been really afraid. Maybe we've been consumed by shame in our life. Maybe we think that God could never love me. Maybe you're dealing with things that you, you're just like, I'm never gonna be free from. What's the point? Bible says, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Yes. For those at the altar, let's just say this prayer together. Listen, all we have to do, all we have to do is admit that we're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and confess that Jesus is Lord of our life. Let's all pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son into this world to die for my sins. I thank you for your love for me. And I proclaim now that I believe in Jesus Christ and I confess him as Lord of my life. I pray for your leading in my life. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, secondly, if there are people here and you just realize, man, I have been distracted, and you just want to come to the altar and you want to quiet yourself before God. And I'm going to ask also maybe that we just play the instruments and, and not do any singing at least for this moment, and we're just gonna come and we're gonna quiet our hearts before God. This is a moment for you to, for you to come and get rid of the distractions, whatever's been, been eating up your mind. Forget, forget about going home and, and eating food. Forget about the sports game that's gonna be on later tonight. Listen, this is the moment that you're giving to God. And, and it's not just that this is a, um, one moment. This is how life is. We always have to be evaluating, okay, what are, what's the most important in my life? And so if you want to come and just once again quiet your heart before God, maybe, maybe you're seeking direction in your life for something. Maybe you want to get honest about some healing that God needs to do in your life and you just want to come to the altar and, and get honest about that and allow God to begin that process of healing. Maybe you've realized that you've been distracted in your relationships and, and you're starting to see the consequences of that. And you just want to come forward and say, and, and pray, God, be with this person. Be with this, my wife. Be with my husband. Be with my kids. And recommit to putting God number one and, and in your family and, and your friends next. So we're just going to play softly. 
quiet your hearts before God and allow him to speak to you in Jesus' name. We just thank you. Thank you first and foremost for Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice in our lives and, and in bringing new life to us. God, we thank you that you've equipped us. Not only did you save us, but you've equipped us. Maybe some of us are facing quote-unquote distractions that we just feel we can't break. God, I thank you that, that we are under grace, that you gave, give us the grace to walk according to your word to make right decisions, even if they are practical decisions. You give us the grace to do that. God, I pray that you would remind us all daily to set our mind on you. Maybe when stress and anxiety begin to take over, God, that you would remind us, just set your mind on me. I have some peace for you today. God, I pray that you would help us live distraction-free practically in our relationships. God, it can be a, a hard road to navigate sometimes. We pray for your wisdom. Father, we love you and we bless you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus.